0: You're listening to Inside the Athletic Mind with your hosts, Taylor Cook, Lauren Williams, and Margaret Jennings.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for female athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. All right, everybody, I am so excited to introduce our guest for this week's episode. But before I do that, I have to say Taylor will not be with us in this episode. We miss her so much, but it will just be MJ and I. Kicking things off with our guest, Corey Camp, who is the founder of Forever Athlete. And this episode is going to be all about transitioning out of sports. Corey is a former uh, NCAA swimmer and has made a name for himself in the world of athletes transitioning out of sports. Whether it's delivering talks at universities or hosting his own what he calls away games where he brings together a community of former athletes to get together for a four-day retreat. Or on Instagram and TikTok, this guy is everywhere. Uh, We spend a good amount of time talking about the neuroscience behind flow and why it's so difficult for athletes to find flow outside of their sport after they've retired. We talk about sport specialization and how that affects our identity as athletes. And I'm so stoked that we were able to have this conversation because I think it is so relevant in today's world. I'm excited for you all to listen to it. So let's get right into it with Inside the Athletic Minds episode with Corey Camp. All right, sweet. So, Today we have Corey Camp with us. We're going to be talking about a lot of things uh, transition out of sport. As you may or may not know, Uh, Corey is the founder of Forever Athlete, which I've been following for quite a long time and have always been interested in transition out of sport, Um, particularly as an athlete who went through it and then went back into sport. Um, But yeah, excited to have you here.
2: Thank you both for having me. I'm excited to jam out with you and yeah, that's got, I'm sure that's got to be weird. It's like you think you're done with it and then you go back and then you're right. like pseudo. Are you done? Are you not done? Um, yeah. yeah, I'm. Int- <laughs> <helpful for you.
1: laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting to see if, because uh, I think I've had, like I've had a mindset so far that hasn't quite gotten me out of sport, right? Because I'm always dabbling with the idea of returning. Mm. So uh, in these next uh, maybe even year or so where it becomes a little bit more concrete, I'm interested to see where that takes
2: me. Me too. I can't wait to see. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So I mean, why don't we start there? Because I think it's inevitable that that athletes do come to that point where they transition from being a full-time athlete and like the title of our podcast inside the athletic mind, there's that belief that like you may leave your sport, but that athletic mindset kind of follows you wherever you go. But given you do work in, in that particular area, that transition we know a lot of athletes that struggle with it. We personally struggled with it at some point or another. So would love to, to hear some of your insight about some things that athletes can do in making that transition to make it a little bit smoother.
2: Yeah, I think it starts with understanding, like, what is it about your sport that you really, truly enjoy? I don't mean the, the, the cliches I always give athletes, current athletes a hard time when they're like, well, I really enjoy the, the time management that it gave me. It's like, well, like, it, time management is relative. You have, especially at university or pro level, you have other people managing your time for you. You're not actually doing it. Um, so I, I challenge people to like, to get back a little bit deeper. Let's see, like at its core fundamentals, what got you even just curious about sports in general? It doesn't even have to be the one that you've stuck with up until this point, but there, there has to be something at its core uniquely curious that spiked your, your interest at an early age to say, I want to try this and I want to get, I'll be okay. Being a beginner while doing it, I'll go through all the frustrations that comes with that uh, because I am really curious about that. So one of the things that I always stress to athletes, especially as they're just getting ready or just starting that transition one, you're going to be a beginner. That's just natural. And it's kind of a blow to your ego, especially the higher level that you play at, because yeah, you could be number one in the world at what you do. And all of a sudden now you have to go through a training like everyone else in your company. And you're like, but I was this hotshot. It's like, get okay with being a beginner, leave the ego at the door if you can, or talk to some other people that are going through something similar and just have open conversations around it. And the second thing, I think what really helps, again, get over that frustration is understanding, okay, if I'm really curious about what I'm doing, then I'm going to be okay with struggling a little bit. And struggle is vital. Struggle is when we develop any sort of skills. We need that struggle. If stuff came to us so easy all of the time, we wouldn't actually be challenging ourselves and being able to hit that sweet spot that is flow with. Uh, the peak performance state of mind. So we need that struggle piece. It's, it's critical in developing skills and it's easier to go into struggle when we're curious about it. So I would say those are like the two main points that I've seen time and time again help people is let's peel it back, understand what exactly started you in the first place. And one are the things that you're curious about, don't get caught up about finding your purpose six months after you retire. It just It's not going to happen. Realistically, odds are it's not going to happen. Try new things. Maybe you tried five sports before you found your one that you stuck with. Mm-hmm. You can do the same thing with your career, with your job, whatever it is. There's no timeline. There's no pressure. Just stay curious and try as many things as you can.
1: I think that's super interesting, right? I'm keying in on like the three main things that you're talking about, right? Like Being a beginner, mm-hmm. letting go of your ego. And turning curiosity on and for the elite athlete who's transitioning out of sport you could see how those things are easily at odds with each other because there's a resistance against being a beginner and the ego essentially keeps you from being curious because you're so afraid to fail at something so how how do those things interact with maybe different athletes you've worked with or in different yeah. scenarios
2: I think it it really depends. It's an individual by individual basis, but if we were to generalize, right, it's the higher the level they played at, the harder that can be. Um, I've worked. I've been fortunate enough to work with people that all the way up to I gold medalists to NFL players to your your standard quote unquote D one athlete uh, transitioning out. The gold medalists have the hardest time switching out because they were number one in the world, quite literally at what they did. So for them to try something new again, it's it's crazy. And what I always tell people, that first step looks different for everyone. We want to identify realistically our baseline. Where are we currently at? And then maybe what is an area that we can take one step outside of that comfort zone that we always hear people talking about? What is one step out of it? And maybe it's, not publicly facing at first, especially if you're coming, if you have a very large ego and you're used to the crowd cheering your name and getting all this recognition, all these accolades, awesome, fantastic. I'm not saying you need to be like humbled uh, completely. Like there's there's some truth in having that confidence and that swagger from those experiences. They're totally validated. They make you who you are. But try face you're gonna really have a lot of resistance failing publicly. Because that's just not in your nature. It's not what you're used to. So, finding other areas, safe spaces that you can go try, fail, and maybe that looks different. I mean, for example, I just went skiing for the first time ever. I know both of you guys, as Canadians, are probably like, that is absolutely bonkers. It took you until 27 years old to no. ski. No,
1: <laughs> not even no. close. My first experience was like last year. Really? Yeah, we had yeah. to sign contracts that you wouldn't ski during the hockey season.
2: Well, that makes sense. You were probably you probably picked it up way better, way faster than I did, just because you're used to being on skates. There I would imagine.
1: Epic me. falls, epic falls.
2: That was that was my whole experience. And I was in Park City, Utah, learning for the first time, um, and it was such a unique experience because I was at a bachelor party and I was able to really learn a ton from these guys that i never met before i was very very grateful for the way that they helped me the entire time and they can tell i "I don't want to fail at this i want to i wanted to be like let's hop off this lift and just like go hop off the lift fall first one like first (laughs) two seconds i was like dang it all right well i got the the first fall out of the way now let's let's just have some fun with it by the end of the day i was having a a good time. I was really beat up and bruised, but like, it was fun to to ride for 30 seconds without falling in between.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, right? Like, I think the ironic yet beautiful thing is that you can learn so much by like revisiting your growth and development as an athlete, like you said. And I think sometimes when you like a couple decades removed from that starting point, you're just so engrossed in being really great in the day-to-day grind and like the dopamine hits of being good at something and being acknowledged for it. Right. Mm-hmm. But like we have a perfect example of our ability to start something that we know nothing about, cannot do well at all. And through commitment and practice and consistency, we've been able to master it. So every athlete has this blueprint for exactly what to do. It's like you said, it's the missing link of going back to that point. Like when we first stepped on the ice, like, you know, we were in a local rink with like barely anyone around and we expected to fall. Right. And part of being able to accept that's going to be part of it is what propels you to be able to, to grow and evolve. Right. But it's a great point because a lot of times people struggle to go back there, but you have the living experience.
2: Yeah. I think we have a recency bias for better or for worse. You know what I mean? Like if we're so recently accustomed to our life going a certain way, we then expect it continue to go that way. And it can be harder to recognize those earlier themes. One of the things that I've done with a lot of people that I work with, and I suggest people, everyone does this, whether, you are a forward-facing personal brand or just someone who is going about their day-to-day life and wants to be a little bit better and understand how you're wired, write out your story. Like literally take two hours out of your day, Write from like where you started as early as you can remember to today and then read back through it and look at what themes exist over and over and over again. And what's that? That has done wonders for me personally and for the people that I work with because there will be times where, now as an entrepreneur, there's so many unknowns, so many risks that I'm taking on a day to day basis, just gambling. But I have the confidence to take certain risks that other people would dare to take because I look back at my story and my themes and be like, oh, well, I survived an unknown heart condition for two years of my life where I'd black out at practice. Okay, cool. Like I would go into practice every day, not knowing if this was going to be the last practice that I would swim in or like what was going to happen to my career. I'm just going to go and do it and would black out occasionally and come back and do it again the next day. And, uh, everything worked out. Um, or, you know, so like themes like that, I can pull and be like, okay, well, when I choose to leave a well-paying, salaried position to go start my own thing with no clients lined up, no real business plan, or anything, uh, and my parents were like, "So what are you gonna do for health insurance? And all retirement?" I'm like, "You guys are stressing me out. Like, I, I trust me. I got this. Like, it will work out, and it's worked out so far. Knock on wood. Two years in, we're kind of still flying." Um, at a rapid, rapid pace. And I don't really totally understand everything that's happening on a day-to-day basis, but we're learning in the process. And I'll be very open and transparent about that. But I have the confidence to step into that, where I know most people, they see the uncertainty that comes with self-employment and entrepreneurship, and they're like, "Mm, no, not for me. But I'm like, I've seen it time and time again, pay out for me. So I'm going to play and see. I also, another theme I saw was, I sucked at swimming. Honestly, I wasn't great. I wasn't a natural born swimmer. It wasn't until my like freshman year of high school that the possibility of me swimming division one was even a realm of possibility. It was always something I wanted to do, but it wasn't something that was realistic until that time. And then it wasn't until my sophomore year of college that I was really considered good in the sense of being recognized at the national level and and all of that fun stuff. So I was like, "All right, cool." It takes me it took me about uh, what was that like fifteen years for me to get good at what I was really, really good at. All right, it might take me a little while to get good at this whole entrepreneur thing, but if I learn from the past and see these themes and use that as I'm calculating next moves, maybe it becomes five years or seven years to that same level success versus the 15. And that's kind of the, the game I'm playing right now.
1: It's super interesting. Um, I made a post not too long ago about like transferable skills. Mm-hmm. And I remember as an athlete, uh, being forced to, uh, for lack of better words, go to these workshops, right. Where they tell you about all these transferable skills and then they put you in front of, um, you know, mentors or people who have left the sport that you're in and they're like give them your elevator pitch use your transferable skills you've performed under pressure before and it's all it's a credit to them for for trying to do something and for putting us in those positions but at the same time I think there was still a huge part of me that said I have no idea how to use these skills I know that I have them I know that I can perform under pressure like I've played in front of thousands of people before but it's, it's the same thing where you get into these new situations, you have to be able to get down to the specifics of what is that skill and how did it help you? Not just, Hey, you've done it before. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's an important distinction that you're definitely making and saying like, what is the skill specifically? How did you use it in the past and how can you apply it?
2: Yeah. And I think what's important to note there it's very situation to situation dependent, right? Mm -hmm. Like just if you can perform in front of 50,000 people on the ice in a championship game and find flow, amazing. You have a certain level of training and skills to do that, to rise to that challenge. When When we look at flow, that in the zone feeling that athletes crave, that's when we perform the best. That's when the hard stuff becomes super easy and things just happen to unfold in a way that's usually favorable to us, or we can adjust like that on the fly and be able to to make corrections and stay in the game. It's a result of the most important flow trigger is what's known as this challenge skills sweet spot, this balance between the challenge at hand and our current skill level. Mm -hmm. Where I'm going with this is it took you years to develop a certain skill level on the ice. Just like it took me years to develop a certain skill level in the pool to the point where if I were to go to just a random meet and I wasn't against people of equal skill, I would be pretty apathetic, bored. I wouldn't be interested in competing and I wouldn't perform very well. On the flip side, especially now, I'm so far removed from the sport, if you threw me at nationals and said, hey, go swim in the A final, I'd be like, what? There's no way I'm racing. The guys now that are competing at that level, I would be over overwhelmed, probably anxious and also underperform. There's that sweet spot. I have to identify being realistic where my current skill level is. And these transferable skills, I'm always hesitant to use that lingo to your point. I think when we have these workshops at universities, they're well-intentioned, they mean well, but they totally miss the mark. Because they're not actually meeting the athlete where they're at. I mean, realistically, when you're in sport, you're not thinking about that next chapter. You don't have the brain power, the capacity to do it. You're just worried about, am I going to be, how's practice going to be later? <laughs> What's that next upcoming meet, that upcoming game? Who are we facing? What do I need to do to do that? Um, again, we're just like hyper-focused on that thing. That's not a bad thing. But for transferable skills, again, being okay with being a beginner, be realistic in identifying where your current skill level is, and then adjust your challenge to meet you at that. So yes, you couldn't be performing well, really under pressure. But if you're thrown in this workshop, and you're like, give this elevator pitch, and you've never done public speaking, you've never talked to someone that's a C-level executive or anything like that, you're probably going to get really, really nervous that challenge is too high for your current skill level. You're going to start sweating on your underarms. and It's, like <laughs> just, it's going to get gross. It's going to mm-hmm. feel weird. So I would challenge you if, you, if you are finding yourself in those situations and you're listening in, how would you make it a little bit easier to meet you where you're at? Mm-hmm. Maybe you're practicing that elevator pitch with your teammates. It sounds kind of like cliche, silly, but that's probably a little bit more realistic with where you're currently at in that skill level. And that will develop over time, just like hosting a podcast. You, I, I love listening back to everyone's first episode of the podcast and compare it to where they are now in the process. And with my own, I, I, I laugh. I'm like 174 episodes in. I'll get episode one. I'm like, oh, my God, what was I doing? But my skill has improved on that process. But I needed episode one to get to where I'm at now, too. So you need those early stages reps again, struggle, develop skill. You need to be able to do that to find your sweet spot and adjust from there.
0: It makes me think, right? Like it, cause you're right. When you think of transferable skills, my mind rightly or wrongly, when I hear skills, I think there's like an element of specificity to it, right? Like a skill is like specific to where you're using it. I almost wonder if it's more like transferable, attributes almost right so kind of like you were talking about before like you have the confidence to pursue this passion because you've kind of inherited or developed in the pursuit of your athletic passion the -hmm. attribute of like being comfortable in the face of uncertainty right or so I wonder if it's more like those generic things when we reflect where it's like okay so yeah I don't know how to deliver an elevator pitch to a CEO but like I know what it's like to be in an uncertain situation and feel comfortable and confident in that. Right.
2: Yeah. And that's what I meant earlier when I said I challenge people to peel it back to that level. If you can get it down to these either core values or really things that are ways of being right, rather than things that we're doing that we're good at. If you can express that intention, set that intention of this is how I want to be, before I show up to whatever I'm doing that day, that's gonna make a world of difference. You're gonna be playing to your, strong, your strengths then. I always like to tell people we love a home game, right? Like There's a reason why, statistically speaking, most teams and players play better at home. We're more familiar with it. Or maybe you drive a certain way to your left or your right, and you're, you're more confident going one way than the other. Play to your strengths. It's way easy. It's hard enough to get into flow, as is, like playing to your strengths, you're just making it harder by doing things that your are your weaknesses. There's a time and place to work on those, yes. But if we can identify those attributes, those core attributes, express those, it becomes a lot easier.
1: Yeah. I could go off like on a huge tangent about that because I think MJ and I will both identify with a lot of what you're talking about there because we spend so much time telling people like hey you're not a human doing you're a human being Mm -hmm. like drop down into those values figure out what they are and then go from there because you're right like if you drop into things that you truly believe in and use as pillars of your life if you behave in accordance with those you kind of start to figure out you're going in the right direction before you even know it right um But that's, that's interesting. And is, is that, I want to talk a little bit about like the neuroscience piece of flow. Is that one of the things that you focus on to help athletes find flow outside of their sport? Um, What does that look like for, for you as a coach?
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. It's a great question. So from a neuroscience perspective, like I said earlier, that challenge skill sweet spot is really like the number one trigger that we can we can hit time and time again but other things that we're looking at is familiarity like the more familiar we are with something the more likely we are able to hit that challenge skill sweet spot we have more familiarity of how good we are right Mm -hmm. there's there's a reason why now i can hop in a pool and realistically find flow within a few minutes versus someone who's never swam before i'm more familiar with that setting than someone else Developing familiarity in other areas as well can go a long way for people. And then there's also this aspect of this, there's a novel experience. Maybe it's something a little bit different and it's forcing us to focus and pay attention and focus is what actually drives us in the flow. So if we can help set up structures in a way that allows people to really focus in on this, this present moment and nothing else that's going on, we're more likely to find that flow. So a lot of what I do with the people that I work with is recreating their, their structures that existed for them while they were in sport and helping them really become what like I to call your life general manager. Because for the first time in your life, like, you make all the decisions. Everything from what you're doing from a day-to-day basis, what workouts you're doing, what food you're eating, what friends you're hanging out with, what your profession is, All of those decisions, for realistically, like the first time, fall on you, and it can be very, very overwhelming. There's a if we can eliminate a lot of those day-to-day decisions where we can just focus, show up, focus, and go, we're way more likely to find flow. So I'll do a four-step process with a lot of people where I'll have them identify one all their core values. This is like I guess one A. Then one B would be based off of those core values what's truly important to you and who you are as a person what currently exists in your life right now that we can eliminate right off the bat there's a saying in the neuroscience community that don't you don't want to be a dumb life optimizer and worry about all of that eliminate first like eliminate first and then you can make all the space from there to go and optimize so after we look at what can we eliminate we look at then what can we delegate and for example like Elimination stuff. I eliminate TV during the week. Like, that's just not something that aligns with my values and what I want to get done. So, instead of spending hours of my week sitting there after work being like, what do I want to watch on Netflix? I just made a, a scalable rule, as I like to refer to it, that I'm just not going to watch TV during the week. And therefore, I have way more brain power to make other decisions, maybe that are a little bit more important and more aligned with my values. After we look at elimination, we look at delegation. What can we delegate to other areas? Another example there would be I am very mindful of what I'm fueling my body with, but I didn't want to, I obviously can't eliminate food um, from my life. That's none of us can. It's just not possible. How can I delegate that decision? What does that look like? What would be really easy? And thankfully, I found a meal service around here that delivers to me three my I think it's like six meals a week lunch and dinner and then breakfast is just always oatmeal and thankfully I'm just not tired of it yet after years but that's something that I was able to delegate it's still in line with it's healthy food I know what I'm doing from the nutrition standpoint so that helps and I don't have to use brain power because I found before I was doing that I would get to this time of day, it's at 1130 Pacific right now, and I'd start to think, okay, what am I going to eat for lunch after this, as soon as we're done recording? And then by the time that I like answered that question, whether it be I'm going to go grab food somewhere or I'm going to cook something, it felt like I was turning around and having to decide what for dinner, what was for dinner. This is just exhausting. I'm never getting off of this hamster wheel. A lot of excess brain power was being wasted on those decisions when I could apply it to more important things based, again, based off of my values. The, the next two steps, we would then look at what can we really prioritize? What's really urgent and really important in our lives? That's what we're going to prioritize on a day-to-day basis. And then the last section is what is not really urgent, but it's really important to you. Maybe it's that passion project, that hobby, that things that just light you up that excite you you enjoy doing you got to plan those we got to put those into your schedule and then actually make sure that they happen so really that's from a neuroscience standpoint i know it's a long-winded answer but that's that process that i'm i take people through to then really start to optimize their life in a way that is conducive for more flow again they don't have to think unnecessarily on these decisions they're making sure that they're still hitting things that are in alignment with their core values that excite them. And that's going to continue. The more flow we get, the more flow we get. So if we can prioritize, you like surfing? Fantastic. We can pri- prioritize into your schedule two days a week where you're going to get some surfing in. Amazing. It's actually going to carry over to your work week. And like when you sit down, you're going to be way more locked in because you've, you've scratched that itch. You've been fulfilled there.
0: That's a great point. It's, it's that priority matrix, right? And like working with, so I've coached the national level, university level. So being on both sides of it, I think being able to take control of your schedule is so important. And like we talk about it a lot too one of the challenges, like you said, and I guess blessings at the time is that everything is kind of assigned or determined for you when you're an athlete, right? You're kind of handed a schedule, like this is when your classes are, this is when workouts are, this is when your meals are. So it's that external monitoring of your performance and also the external validation of your performance. So a lot of times, one of the biggest challenges is that that supportive external environment, like as soon as you leave campus, it's gone. Right. And I think people are like, okay, like what do I do? How do I control my own schedule? Cause it's not a skill that's developed over that period of time. And then of course, how do I validate myself? Like, how do I know I'm doing a good job if I don't have a coach saying so, or I don't have statistics to look at that back up how I feel. Right. So like I would, I, cause I'm always curious, right? Like how can we be more proactive rather than reactive? Like, are there anything that you think we can do with athletes prior to making that transition that could kind of bolster their preparedness for that transition a bit
2: yeah it's a great question it's like what comes first the chicken or the egg like what where where do we solve this problem and I joke with a lot of other people in uh, the former athlete space that I think one is super cool that I for a while when I first got this idea a few years ago to do and build forever athlete I was like I'm the only one doing this this would be great and then I realized how overwhelming it is and how many athletes actually exist and like are retiring every single year. I was like, whoa, thank God I'm not alone in this process because I couldn't serve everyone even if I wanted to. Um, but I joke with them and I'm like, if we do this right and we get really proactive with it and we get in at the university level or maybe even the high school level, our, the need for our, our jobs doesn't exist anymore. And I'm okay with that, because that will mean that we have successfully solved a huge problem in the athletic community. There's a reason why like substance abuse and suicide rates are so high in these athletes as they come out. It's because it's not being addressed proactively. So I think if we can come in and equip them with realistic tools and exercises that allow them... To create flow on demand in other areas of their life, that's a, a huge, huge solution. I always like to use this analogy of it sucks when you get blocked out of something, whether it be your car, your house. Like it's happened to all of us. What happens from a neurological standpoint for so many athletes when they lose that one thing they found flow? Oftentimes, their sport. They get locked out of flow altogether. They get locked out of that feeling of being themselves. It's because how many of us like I would say I felt the most like me when I swam. Mm-hmm. My confidence was through the roof in the swimming pool and on the pool deck. But throw me in front of a public speaking role in front of a room of people, and I'd be like, nope, no way. That's I'm not confident here. Only on the pool deck. I'll trash talk with the best of them on the pool deck. But not, not on campus, wherever else that might be. So when I lost that, it was like I lost the keys to be me. It's like, how do I lock, how do I lock this again? How do, I, how do I find myself? And I think it's introducing this concept of finding flow in multiple ways. Don't become dependent and reliant on just your sport for that feeling. And it actually developing this holistic identity as a current athlete, why they should care, why athletes should actually care about that. Again, the more flow you get, the more flow you get, you'll be a better athlete because of it. Mm-hmm. It's like this positive feedback loop that you're, you're able to introduce and you're not weighting so much of your value, your identity and your worth on that one thing. So if you have that bad game, you're able to you know, sit with it It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be angry with your performance. That's part of, if anything, that's a good thing. You care about what you're doing. But you need to be able to let that emotion roll through you and not let that be like the defining moment of like, oh my gosh, you're terrible. (laughs) I talked about earlier, like the recency bias. When my swimming career ended, my last race ever was slower than I was my junior year of high school. And it was also the worst performance uh in like my college career as a whole and I really took that to heart I took that as like a reflection of well I'm only as good as my most recent performance so all the success that I had up until senior year conference meet that doesn't count anymore people are only going to remember me now for this and I totally laid an egg the last race ever and I don't get a do-over this sucks but if I had other areas that I could wait my worth and value, I don't think I would have had such a hard time. I wouldn't have turned to alcohol and all of this other crazy stuff to cope with what I was dealing with. I would have been way more versed to be like, okay, that didn't go as planned. All right. It is what it is. I can still be upset with it. That's okay. It shows that I cared up to that point. But now what? What, What's another area in my life that I, I can focus on? something going well for me there. Instead, I was just so focused on everywhere I turned. I was like, well, that didn't go right. That didn't go right. That didn't go right. Go right." And I just, I felt like I didn't go right at that point. So I just felt so, yeah, like worthless and all that fun negative emotions. <laughs> but if we can plant those seeds earlier, mm-hmm. then truly you can unlock that. I like to say, unlock your true potential. And that's really... What I mean by that is you're developing a master key to access this peak state in whatever you do. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be that one thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is one of the things that I find to be so concerning with the way that sports are going right now Mm
2: -hmm. is
1: how early kids are specializing in a sport. And I've had parents asking me, like, hey, when should we have her stop playing other sports? We're already thinking about doing it. And these kids aren't even in high school yet. And I think that there, like you're saying, there is something to be had from learning how to access flow in different aspects of your life, developing fondness for other sports, for other pursuits. Um, and I'm sure all of us played a different sport than the one that we specialized in when we were younger. But I, I am truly concerned by all of the kids that are specializing so early because what else are you supposed to latch on to identify with? Like you're being pushed in that direction to identify solely with this one thing. And it does come to an end for everybody, mm-hmm. for the best players in the world. It comes to an end at some point for, you know, the ones who end in high school it comes to an end the ones who make it all the way to the Olympics, it comes to an end and we all end up facing this um, reality, whether or not you planned the ending or not of, okay, what do I do now? What's next? And because we're all such high achievers and high performers in what we do, so hungry to find the answer to that thing. But if you don't even have like that first starting block, that first step it's so much harder to begin that journey. Mm-hmm. It's not, I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but it's something that I've heard from multiple people now. And I'm like, no, let them play as many
2: sports as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I Go ahead. MJ.
0: I was just going to say, it's like, I always think of the word passion. Like when I was in university, I was just obsessed with this word passion for whatever reason, like I was going to get a tattooed and all this stuff. But I've, I've recently read like the book, the passion paradox. Right. And and understanding that like that word, which I think a lot of athletes like hold pretty dearly, like it's rooted in the, the idea of like suffering, right? Like there's this element of like, if you're passionate about something, like it's going to be tough, it's going to be challenging. But in the pursuit of the passion, like you said, I think it's so important that you have balance. Like here's an excerpt from the passion paradox. Passions transform our physical and psychological selves. We become accustomed to the dopamine that practicing our passion produces, and when we're no longer receiving it, that leaves a void. This void can be a recipe for substance abuse, gambling, or other sorts of regrettable activities. This can even be the point at which the fine line between passion and drug addiction that we discussed finally gets crossed. And I think the challenge is it's it's not that you're leaving your passion for an addiction. It's more like you're, you're just transitioning from one addiction to another. If it is all you do and all you're committed to, you don't understand what balance is when you're in sport. You're certainly not going to be able to understand what it is outside of it. You're just going to search for something else that can be your sole source of that dopamine or that quick hit that. So it's really like kind of shaping how do you interact with sport and, just in terms of a sustainable way, because if you can't do it there and you see it with professional athletes or university graduating athletes, it's, they're taking the same approach, but it's towards something that's not getting you that external validation or recognition. And sometimes they don't understand why such a massive trans transformation is happening.
2: Yeah. I think too, there, to that point, one of my (laughs) favorite, my favorite Unknown. I, I won't even say unknown. It's glor. It's been glorified. Workaholism is like the biggest mm. addiction of them yes. all. Yet we oftentimes in society say like, "Well, actually, that's a healthy one." Saying, like, "Well, right?" Is it? I is don't. It I don't so- know. Like, <laughs> yeah. To Lauren's point earlier of like, I think early specialization is just an early stage of developing this workaholism trait in your in your child. If you're just saying hey, uh, forget everything else that you like as well. Um, There's a chance for you to get some some money here in maybe a scholarship or maybe you're going to play professional. We could be set. So we're going to just, we're going to specialize you here and look at what that does as far as like burnout rates in kids. Like I unfortunately know so many people that I grew up swimming with, they were like number one in the nation at 12 years old. They quit swimming by 16 or 17 years old. I was like how like why they were number one in the nation it's like they gave up everything to do just that one thing I think if we can I don't know why we don't encourage hobbies and encourage hobbies just for the sake of having hobbies you don't need to have a hobby that you then need to turn into a side hustle that then becomes your main business you can leave your job whatever do things just for the sake of doing them. like there's nothing wrong with that if it excites you if you like to play guitar, like, play guitar. You don't even need to make videos and post about it. Just play guitar. If you like to do pottery, make some pots. Like, do whatever excites you for you. I think what I when I hear that word passion, I always look at passion as that precursor for purpose. And the way that it turns into purpose is through curiosity. And what I really like to look at it i i say curiosity is that spice of life it makes everything a little bit sweeter makes everything a a little bit better once we pursue enough curiosities we're bound to stumble upon some sort of passion and yes when we're really passionate about it we can be a little bit sadistic and you know go through more pain than other people might towards whatever it may be see in sports all the time but never lose that curiosity Even when you found your purpose, you have to continue to stay curious and scratch that itch. And maybe it's within that same realm or environment. Maybe it's another environment, but that's going to be what leads to sustainable, optimal performance rather than this. We're so obsessed in this high performance culture of peak performance, like getting to the peak that one time that flash in the pan, and then we're not worried about anything else after that. I don't know why I would rather live my life up here rather than having this huge up and then come crashing down and being like, okay, I'm never going to get that dopamine that I got from that up. What's next?
1: It's, it's an interesting um, predicament that we're all in, right? Because we're told and we're we're taught to go after it because that's the societally right thing to do. Right. If you're not working your tail off, if you're not overworking yourself, you're not doing enough. Um, but I think learning how to reprogram that and, and address the deficits that we're coming from, where we truly believe that we're not good enough, where we truly question if we deserve love and all of those kind of things, we can learn how to reprogram that. And, and like you mentioned, you know, like drop into our values and find the things that we believe are important and, and move forward with that kind of perspective helps put us in the right direction. Um, but I'm, I'm super interested in and would love to hear more about what you're doing with forever athlete. And I'm following along a little bit with these things that you call away games, which yeah. I think are, are yeah. brilliant. Would love Thank to hear you. some more about that.
2: Um, yeah, I appreciate it. That, that idea came from just honestly having so many conversations with different athletes being like, where did sport take you? I took you to all these really, really cool places all across the world. But when you really look at it, did you ever really go to those places? Like, I look at the places that swimming took me, Seattle, Atlanta, you know, Greensboro, all these cool places where Nashville's happened to be and it was a great time. But I never left the pool or the hotel. Maybe like one time I was able to convince my coach this is my favorite Nationals by far because I convinced my coach to let me go to the SEC championship game instead of one of the sessions at the meet. I was just like, it's my senior year, kind of over this thing. I'm not swimming in this session. Why, am I gonna, why do I have to go like sit in the hot pool and watch other people swim? I want to go watch this football game. He was like, all right, cool. I'll drop you off, scalp some tickets, and like just Uber back to the hotel. I was like, wow, what college (laughs) coach allows you to do that? It was an awesome experience. But I took that idea and I was like, you know, how many other athletes out there have been to these places and are craving a couple different things? They want to actually be immersed in the culture when they travel. I don't know about you all, but I love to travel like a local. I don't want to go someplace and do all the touristy things. I want to go and feel like I'm acclimated into the local scene. So I was like, with that knowledge in mind, what can I do with that? Well, I can identify some small businesses in the areas that I want to set these away games up. It'll be a four-day retreat. We'll partner with these small businesses, be able to highlight the good that they're doing in the community. And really my main goal with Forever Athlete is to help people feel a little bit less alone, help people feel like they are actually truly understood, they're seen, and they recognize their value. And through that, they can go and pay it forward. And with these experiences, it's a it's a mix of everything in a weekend with the main goal being, I want to connect people closer together with one another and connect them closer with themselves. So when they leave this four-day experience, they'll have made friends for life and feel way more confident in what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. And the way that I'm doing that is through workshops, like personal development workshops, a lot of kind of what I talked about exercises here, we'll actually like sit down, take an hour, go through that, um, coach through it, all of that stuff, especially people are having a hard time understanding what their core values are, which understandably, it's not, again, not something that you're just taught. You're just kind of told like, yeah, yeah. Core values. Mm-hmm. those. Um, we'll do workouts similar to like, when you struggle and do hard things with your teammates growing up, you naturally got closer together because you were able to, to work off one another, and then you develop trust. You can be like, okay, I understand that she's gonna, she's got my back. Like whatever happens here, uh and then we're just going exploring the local food scene. Going again, going to different shops, and a lot of downtime as well. Um, I, we've we've been in so many travel meets and games where everything was scheduled to a tee on an itinerary. I don't know about you all, but that just drives me nuts <laughs> at um, times so it's like yeah. finding that finding that sweet spot of like how much can i realistically provide to people on a four-day experience so that they feel like they got enough value out of it instead of just saying they paid x amount of dollars for a ticket to come and then it was just like all right go ha- go hang out for four days there's no structure <laughs> or organization but not so much so where they leave feeling they need another vacation afterwards
1: yeah yeah, it's, that's funny. I, <laughs> as soon as I heard you say like the itineraries, I actually cringed inside a little bit because yep. I've like my brother went to a military school and my parents always they're like, oh, would you want to do that? And I was like, absolutely not. The itineraries, I can't do it. Your whole day is planned. No, thank you.
2: <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, I I planned out the itinerary with one of the things to understand about flow is it comes in a four-stage cycle Mm -hmm. and the first stage is struggle then you go into a release phase then you have flow then you have recovery afterwards so I I set the itinerary with that in mind it was really funny at the the one that I did in Austin a few weeks ago or a few months ago at this point a buddy of mine was like Dude, you. I love how like laid back, laissez faire you were with this whole thing. Uh, it just like it flowed so well, and, I, and then I explained this to him of the the flow cycle, and I was like, yeah, like the at the sunrise run was our struggle. Then we walked afterwards to just like have some conversation, cool down, get our heart rate down, and then we went into a personal development workshop from there. So everyone's focus was like really in the moment. There they got whatever they need to get out and we had lunch after that and then repeat that again you know one or two more times throughout the day he's like oh crap you like were really meticulous with planning this i was like yeah to a point though that if people are going through it they don't feel that way and that was my intention i wanted them to feel like they were just kind of riding this natural wave of energy throughout the day we all have our we can nerd out on the, the circadian rhythms and rhythms that we all have. But if we can attune to those, then we'll be way more likely to find flow again. Again, we're playing to our strengths, like I said earlier.
0: Love it, love it. Yeah, I, I can think of many places that I've Gone as a player. And it's like, I was so excited to go, but I didn't actually go, you know, like you go to the hotel, you do your pregame meal, you go to the rink and then you drive home. So mm-hmm. I think that's an amazing opportunity to just kind of recreate those trips, but allow athletes collectively to still kind of get a workout in and do that stuff, but have time to enjoy their surroundings is amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. It's, um, one of the, the focuses is like I want to have chapters, local chapters of, Mm. I I like to call them micro communities in all these major cities. So that, because virtual is, is a wonderful time. It allows us to be able to do this kind of stuff, right? All in different cities right now. But there's no replacement to that in real life experience. So if you can have an in real life experience supplement the online, what I call macro community, then you're, you're creating this really positive feedback loop of sorts where you're giving people opportunities, almost like a reunion, to come back together after staying in touch after the last one via social media and, and the app and everything. So it, it builds off of one another. And I'm, I'm in the game of let's create, again, sustained prolonged connection how many times do you meet someone at an event? You have a great connection, and you just life happens. You never see or hear from them again. Mm-hmm. Is it because it's not easy to stay in touch? You guys got busy. What What is it? If I can eliminate all the excuses of it's not easy to stay in touch with them, I've done my job.
1: <laughs> so um, to kind of wrap up here, um, if somebody maybe who's listening or um, you know is tuning in for the first time and they're maybe thinking about transitioning out of sport um, maybe they're not there yet or maybe they've just done it what is a big piece of advice that you can can give them that maybe gives them that confidence going into the process or
2: yeah I think like I said earlier with writing out that story up until this point mm. if you can identify some themes from your life or even to make it easier, like just identify things not related to your sport that excite you and categorize them into three different things. One, something super small that you can do daily or weekly. Mm -hmm. Two, something maybe a little bit bigger. It's gonna take a little bit more planning. Maybe you really like to get out and explore and go hiking. So finding a new hiking trail obviously isn't realistic to do every single day. Once a week might be a stretch depending on your schedule and what season of life you're in. That's okay. But definitely once a month, that's, that's definitely realistic. And then the last thing would be something that things that excite you that are big. Again, if travel is your example, maybe you're going to a new state or new country planning a three-day trip, something of that sorts. That would be something that you're doing maybe once a quarter or once a year. And then get proactive, put those things into your calendar, Set I like to say, just take yourself on dates, like put those dates into your calendar and honor them, show up for yourself. Because Mm -hmm. if you can do that now, you'll have a way easier time doing that down the road as well. I know it's, it sounds overwhelming, especially if you're still in sport, you're like, well, okay, but it's not practice. It's not film. It's not whatever. (laughs) It's not going to help me. I promise you, it will help you. It'll make that next chapter a little bit easier too.
1: I love that, yeah. And I'm—I've never thought about it this way before. But as I think back on it now, like one of the first things I did when I was done playing hockey in college was finding a new way to move my body. Mm -hmm. And like when I was an athlete, the idea of doing hot yoga like made me cringe. I was like, oh, come on, I can't, (laughs) I, no. And it was what I went and did because I was like, okay, why do I have so much resistance against this? I've heard great things, and like putting it and signing up for a class knowing that hey each class costs money so you're going to commit to actually going and buying the class pass and it totally changed my relationship with movement from one that was like punishment slash always there to prepare you for something to hey you're doing this because it it feels good and it helps you take care of the body that's given you so much so i love that piece of advice yeah. Take yourself out on dates.
2: <laughs> Heck yeah, you're worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. Yeah, I love that that you just brought up the movement piece too. Because mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer of I like that you referred to it as movement as well instead mm-hmm. of workouts. So again, it, it allows this freedom there. Yeah. A lot of a lot of us athletes are coming out of situations where that structure is just gonna give us PTSD again and we're gonna totally shut down. You know what I mean? Like I, I tried to do master swimming to less than two years after retiring and I enjoyed it until the coach saw that, like, I could be a really big contributor to the team. And he was like, all right, I don't need to do five workouts a week to like really get back in shape. And then he asked me to shave. For me, I was like, yo, man, like, I'm, I'm done shaving my legs. Like, that's just, that's not <laughs> happening anymore. Like, I'm not a full-time swimmer. I got, I got a real job. I, I don't want to be walking into my, my workplace on Monday morning explaining why my body is ha- hairless today. Like, we're not doing that. And just stressed <laughs> me out and drove me further away. So mm-hmm. developing a healthy relationship with what your body is capable of so much and finding ways to express that ability in maybe non-traditional ways is is a beautiful and fun time of your life try the hot yogas try going for a run that's like not a punishment run it's not suicides because you messed up or whatever Mm -hmm. go out and find new ways to move your body try new things maybe do it in a sheltered space so you if you fail not great at it no worries you can go in and, and not tell anyone that you were a, a d1 or a pro level athlete and like that will help with that expectation mm-hmm. i think so many people go in and they're like oh, "Yeah, i, I play football here or whatever and then there's all all of a sudden this massive expectation of like oh, okay so they got to be really good at this
1: mm-hmm.
2: just let that go go and have fun with it mm-hmm. The last tangent
0: <laughs> great advice yeah
1: no i love it um well i gotta hop off here but i wanted to say thank you so much for coming on um for taking the time and for sharing such uh sound advice i think it's really really needed in today's society with how results driven that we are um but yeah no, i really appreciate it
0: yeah where can people find you corey mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, great question. Thank you. Well, first (laughs) off, Lauren, MJ, thank you so much for having me. This was a a pleasure. Anytime that I can talk about this stuff, I get lit up and find my love. So I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I just appreciate the space. People want to connect with me more, um, I'm on Instagram at Corey Camp, C-O-R-Y-C-A-M-P, on TikTok at Forever Athlete, and then website is foreverathletela.com. There you can find everything from the away game retreats we talked about, the book that I just published um, to apparel that we got going on as well. So all things can be found on the website primarily.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I need to get the book and the apparel is sick, by the way, if you haven't seen it. so
2: We just got a new sweatshirt that I haven't announced dropping yet, but it's a You Are Loved sweatshirt. So it's like a mm-hmm. bone neutral oh, color hoodie and then mm-hmm. embroidered in pink all over the heart is You Are Loved and then the logo on the back. I'm super excited with how they turned out. We just got some samples. So we'll Love be announcing that. those publicly more soon. <laughs> we'll yeah.
1: keep an eye out yeah. it <laughs> for it.
2: Sure. Amazing.
1: But thank you again. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to sharing the episode and talking
0: soon.
2: Sounds good, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You
0: too. Thanks.